Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. If you have a special needs family member, you're not going to want to miss today's program. But even if you don't, you still might want to listen. A health condition or accident can create a special needs situation with any of your family members, or possibly a newborn of the future might have special needs. There are ways to plan for this ahead of time to make sure what you work so hard for stays in the family. Joining us today is special needs expert George Shady, who because of the special needs of a 23-year-old son, has made special needs planning a primary focus of his practice. Welcome, George. Well, it's good to be here. Hey, it's great to have you. We're going to be talking about a topic I think a lot of people don't really even think about, even if it's affecting their family, and that's the area of special needs planning. One thing is, usually a lot of families don't even think about it until it even hits their family, and special needs planning obviously becomes very apparent if you have a special needs child. A lot of families don't even anticipate or put in their planning in case there's a special needs situation. Why don't we start out with, describe what special needs is and special needs planning, because you're very involved in that. As you know, I have a son, 23, with autism, and I've been advocating for about 20 years. But a trust is a legal document that's part of your will. It can be set up while you're alive, made part of the will, or it can be actually funded while you're alive. Sometimes that's done with grandparents. 60% of the people in this country say they don't have a will when I ask them at my seminars. But the fact of the matter is everybody has a will. The difference is, did you write your own or did the state write it for you? And the most fearful words in the world is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Special needs applies to when your special needs child is getting services. When I use special needs child, I'm really talking about an age group that can be from birth to death, any age. We always look at them as our children. But what can happen is if any kind of resource or any kind of asset is left to the child, as little as 3000 or $2,000, depending on the state, they lose all those benefits. So you need a special needs trust to prevent that from happening. And you provide in that special needs trust the things that aren't normally provided for a special needs child by the government. This is a critical thing to bring up. George, we're kindred souls as my son has special needs. And I will tell you that in my career path, I've talked to many families that need to plan for this. And it surprised me of the thought process I've heard from some who thought, well, because there's a government program involved in providing benefits, I really just need to disinherit that child in my planning. And that is not necessary. So I want parents and grandparents to hear today that the tools that are available to them today allow for them to account for a child, even on an equal basis with any of the other children or more. But those assets are held separately and managed professionally, but you have to do that extra planning. Disinheriting doesn't have to be the option today just because there's a government program involved. So just clarify that for everyone. Well, disinheriting is definitely the wrong way to go because the government does not provide all the benefits. You want your child to have a toothbrush. You want your child to have certain types of health care or dental care that aren't properly covered, television set, a computer, be able to take a little vacation, be able to go to the beach. All those things are not provided. So there are other things that you spell out and itemize in a special needs trust. One important document that people forget when they're doing their estate planning and special needs trust is there's a document called the letter of intent. While it has no legal importance, 
it is important that the parents or the grandparents, the people who really know the child, outline in this letter of intent what the child likes. For example, Alex, my son likes to go to Disney. So I have in there that he likes to go to Disney. So he can take trips to Disney when suited. He likes amusement parks. He likes the beach. He likes the ocean. So you can't put these in a special needs trust, but you can put them in what's called a letter of intent. And I also encourage that all family members get involved. They use the global family, grandparents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and godparents, whoever knows that child and wants to make sure that that child has the quality of life that he or she deserves. I think that's a huge point. Special needs planning really involves family planning. I was just working with a family that mom and dad are now in their 80s. Their special needs son, like mine with Down syndrome, is now in his 40s, productively working out there, but does have government programs involved. And it took till now for other family members who are now more established in their life to kind of come forward to mom and dad and say, you know, we're now at a point in our lives that if something happens to you someday that we're going to take him and we'll be able to continue on your legacy of caring for him. And that was such a relief for the parents to know that they had always made arrangements, that concept of we don't want him to be a burden to any of the kids, you know, and so there wasn't a lot of discussion. There was always just this wonder of who's going to step up to the plate. And so they always made arrangements in a group home facility and those things locally. And then one of the sons came forward and said to mom and dad, you know, hey, I'm at a point in life now where I'm able to help. And it just opened up all the family discussions. Over the holidays, we met because everybody was getting together and had a family discussion. So it's exactly what you just said. It was such a relief to everybody and tears and joy and all those things. And even the son was elated to know that there is a plan because he knows that at some point there's going to be a change. And it was comforting to know kind of what the future holds. Well, procrastination and denial are a big part of it. Among special needs families, the divorce rate is almost 80% and usually it's one parent that will take the lead. But the problem is that, as I said earlier, the limit is $3,000, $2,000. That could be anything. That could be grandma's $1,000 life insurance policy that she took out or her parents took out on her, and now it's worth maybe five, $6,000. could be a stamp collection. could be an antique auto. The problem is, is that when this event occurs, the parents could be dead, the siblings might be off on their own, and all of a sudden the child loses all these benefits and Social Security comes back and backbills them for all these benefits that have been paid once they discover the assets. So that can be very traumatic because who's going to advocate for the special needs child? Who's going to take care of that? Special needs trust prevents all that. George, you actually mentioned a couple of, I think, key things that families with special needs should be discussing, and they're insurance protection products. So how do you suggest, not only, of course, should families sit down with a professional for the estate planning side and potentially the tax planning side, but also an insurance professional to deal with the issues of life insurance potentially as a future funding vehicle to create assets for care. And also we should talk about the importance of mom and dad potentially maintaining long-term care. Can you incorporate the importance of some of those products in special needs planning? Well, absolutely. As an insurance professional, I do a very detailed fact finder. And parents and families have to understand you really have to open up. You can't go to a doctor and tell them it hurts here, but you don't tell them it hurts there. You've got to do complete disclosure, and that includes tax returns because tax planning is so important. You want to make sure that there's protection for the child. You want to make sure there's protection for the family. Long-term care becomes very important because if there's a need for the parents or the guardians for that, you don't want them to have to rob assets. They wanted to set aside 
for the special needs trust down the road. Life insurance, whether it's a new policy or existing policies, becomes very important because you could name the special needs trust as the beneficiary on those life insurance policies. What are known in the industry as second to die, where it's paid on the second death, become very, very important because you want that trust funded down the road. And the second to die policy is a very good way of doing that because, of course, since two lives are being insured rather than one, the premiums are considerably less. The other thing is, is there's IRAs, there's annuities. Again, we talked about long-term care insurance. That becomes very important for the quality of life of the parents and the grantors of the trust, the people that are putting the trust together. One thing I do caution is be very, very careful. Sometimes families can't afford the permanent insurance. Be very careful of universal life. Make sure that it's got a no-lapse guarantee and that the people who are responsible to pay the premiums understand that so it doesn't lapse in the future. And if you have to use term insurance because of financial considerations, make sure that term insurance is fully convertible and that there's a plan to convert it at a certain period of time before the cost of the term insurance gets prohibitive. Those are all awesome points, George. And one thing I was thinking about as you and Tony were talking about this, a lot of times, and what Tony said is, I just shake my head when I hear this, when they say, oh, we'll just rely on the government program. In today's world where the government doesn't know if they can fund next week's expenses or today's expenses for that matter, because they keep borrowing money to pay the bills, a lot of these programs, we don't know what they're going to look like in the future. When parents also look at, we got to treat all our kids equally, Think about when those kids are growing up. If one kid needs braces, you don't hand out 2000 to each of the other kids. And these special needs kids might need even more money. And when you bring up things like life insurance, as Tony mentioned with this family, if one of the other kids might be taking that special needs child in, they may need some extra money maybe to modify the home to accommodate a special needs person, a little bit of extra money that, let's say for the sake of discussion, they need to bring someone else in to help so they can get a break. There's a lot of expenses that go well beyond any government programs, and you really got to think about how is this going to impact the family and where is the money going to be needed and make sure that that's designed properly. And I'm sure you've gotten into a lot of that discussion with families. Absolutely. As the insurance professional, as I pointed out earlier, we have to be the financial quarterback for the family involving the banker and the trust officer and the other insurance agents. Maybe there's a stockbroker involved. You've got to involve all these people in the extended family because you've got to make sure that all the bases are covered and everybody understands what's going on. What happens is, as I mentioned earlier, denial and procrastination. Our plan originally that I had for my son Alex included him staying in the home and the trust was going to be able to fund the maintenance of the home. Well, my wife Claire was seven years younger than me, died suddenly of a brain aneurysm. and That changed all that because we didn't plan on her dying first, we planned on me dying first. So the documents also have to be flexible, and you can't wait because nobody has a lease on life. You just don't know what's going to occur and when it's going to occur. And even though the planning can be universal in some senses across the country, it also depends on what state you reside in if you're coordinating with Absolutely. government programs. So why don't we even touch on that a little bit as we come back? We're going to take a short break. This is a great conversation, and we will return to continue to talk about special needs planning. Please stay tuned. And now a personal story from the 2010 Life Foundation Spokesperson for Life Insurance Awareness Month, actress Leslie Bibb, whose recent credits include roles in Iron Man 2, Confessions of a Shopaholic, and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Leslie was just three years old when her dad died. 
At that time, Leslie had no idea what life insurance was and how it benefited her mother. Today, Leslie realizes the enormous impact it had on her life. Let's hear her story. Hi, I'm Leslie Dibb. Photos are my memories. My parents together, dancing to their favorite song and celebrating with friends. Young and in love, they never suspected that their lives together would be cut short. Everything changed when my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. All of a sudden, the task of raising four girls and keeping our family together fell on her shoulders. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance policy enabled our family to pick up and carry on. The love we show while we are alive is why we live. The love we show after we are gone allows life to continue on. My dad loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Life insurance was his legacy of love to us. No one should be left grieving and in need. Take care of your loved ones by thinking ahead to the unthinkable. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue a conversation today with George Shady, who is a special needs planner. And George, you've been sharing with us your expertise in planning for families with special needs as you and I both share the blessing of having a child with special needs. You know, as you mentioned before the break, child can mean anything from, in my case, six-year-old to your child is what age? 23. Okay. And it doesn't really matter what age. It's just a matter of accounting for the fact that you might have to do some additional planning. And just before the break, I had mentioned that when you do special needs planning, there's first of all, the importance of having that team in place. And you mentioned all the different players of that team that should be part of the team, of course. And then you're coordinating with generally some type of trust to account for holding assets beyond your death as you leave assets for your children and your special needs child and then coordinating with any programs that might be implemented by the state that you're in. For example, I live in Wisconsin. Where are you in the country? I live in Pennsylvania. That's a good point that you bring up. One of the websites that we can offer our families is www.naepc.org. That's the National Association of Estate Planning Councils. This is where you will find competent attorneys within your state that can draft these documents. And this is not an expensive process. And you want to use a competent attorney because one word can change the whole document. And as I said earlier, one word being incorrect in that special needs trust could mean everything was undone and all of a sudden the state or the federal government is backbilling for all the benefits that have been paid out and the parents have long been dead. One of the worst phone calls I get, and I do get these from time to time, typical situation is a widow calls me and says, I'm 80 years old. I've just been diagnosed with serious terminal cancer. Who's going to take care of my 60-year-old son? You know, at that point in time, there's not a lot of planning that you can do because most of the options that can fund that trust are off the table. So you can't procrastinate. You've got to use a competent attorney or insurance professional. You put together the bones of the plan, you bring the family in, and then you bring the lawyer in to flesh out the plan, and then you review it again with the family and the extended family. It's really important, too, to keep this up to date. I know a lot of people procrastinate because it's an uncomfortable issue, and then they get through it, and then they just kind of feel like, oh, the load's off the shoulders, and we can just forget it and put it back in the safe till we pass away. 
planning is a process. It doesn't end just because you put some documents in place. This topic of the states or the government coming back to get assets, we just had here in our state a situation with Title 19, because that's the government program we're dealing with, where somebody set up a special trust to protect assets. And because the rules changed, the state was able to go back and get assets from a trust that had been set up. So you really got to be careful that these things are set up properly. And then you got to dust them off from time to time to make sure that they're still going to work based on our governments looking at cutting back how much benefits are being provided. That's a very important point because this is true in all 50 states. The state governments as well as the federal government are always looking at ways to pierce the veil of these trusts and recover money. And there are some people that are very vicious about that. They don't have sympathy. They don't have empathy. I've run into a lot of legislators who are very difficult and just totally don't understand. And as parents, we have to recognize the fact and let them know we're providing a tremendous service to the government and to society by taking care of our children. You know, it's not a matter of putting them in an institution that they become wards of the state and wards of the government. And you can see some of these institutions. I mean, the annual cost runs 120 to 200 thousand dollars, depending on the nature of the severity. So by protecting our children to make sure they get these government plans and we can provide what are called extras, you know, a toothbrush and a comb certainly isn't an extra, but yet these things are not provided under government programs. We're providing a tremendous service. So we've got to make sure that these documents are properly drafted. They can't be pierced by the legislators. That's a great point. It's just a matter of perception, and somehow we have to change that perception that this isn't about hiding assets. It's about creating supplemental assets because they would be responsible for it anyway. The government program, in this case, it's really helping that program and supplementing that program's shortfalls and providing a quality of life. You talked about the importance of continuing to maintain those documents along with the planning team, but what about, let's maybe address for a moment, it's not just creating the tool or the special needs trust, it's also the importance of how you fund it and addressing beneficiary designations and things like that on these insurance products. Can you address that a little bit? Sure. There's different ways to fund it. You can fund it by assets that exist today and fund it currently, or you can fund it, it's called testamentary, upon your death or upon a grandparent's death or a relative's death. But it is important that the beneficiaries of those documents, let's say it was a life insurance policy or IRA, an annuity, the beneficiary on those documents has to read exactly the way the special needs trust is set up in the trust documents in the will. For example, mine says, for the special needs trust of Alexander George Shady. I've spelled out his name completely. So my beneficiary documents read exactly that way so that no one can pierce that. Another thing that's really important when you're doing this, as you're talking about this, I just want to emphasize, you have grandparents, you have parents, you might have other family members that may be recognizing a special needs child and how important it is for everybody to coordinate their estate plan so that nothing happens to slip through the cracks and get lost and not be used for the intent of benefiting that special needs child. That is so important because if you don't involve the family and the friends and anyone who wants to help out with that special needs child, and they put in their will, we're going to leave $10,000 to Alex Shady, but not to the special needs trust of Alexander George Shady. 
that completely undoes everything. The child gets the money, and Social Security may take a year, may take two years, may take three years to uncover that, but they will uncover it, and they'll backbill the family or they'll backbill the child, and it's complete chaos. And usually by this time, most of the people that could take care or help out with the child may be dead or gone or doing their own lives. And that brings up another point. You should have contingent trustees. You should have contingent advocates. You should have contingent people that are there to help the child down the road and advise the trustee because sometimes things change. I had a case not too long ago where the trustee was under an IRS audit and was eventually got an IRS lien against him. So thank God we had a contingent in place because we were able to switch to the contingent and maintain the flow of money under the special needs trust for that child. That's a huge point. In fact, the family that I mentioned earlier that we spent the holiday weekend here just reviewing, I think a key message that the family wanted to hear is that there was a team in place to go to, that mom and dad had put together a plan, that there was a contingency, the funding was there, the assets were there, and there was a team in place with these successors that you mentioned. So the questions became, I don't have to know all the details of what my responsibility is today, but I want to know that there's a structure in place, the funding's in place, the plan's in place, and there's an order of who's going to serve in the event one can't, then there is a backup. And I think that's a huge point. It always continually leaves that peace of mind. And I think this point that we were just discussing about how estate planning affects really an entire family if there's a child with special needs, it's kind of sad today how few people have done estate planning. And if it's done on a family environment, just imagine again finding out the bad news later that the sibling of a special needs child who does their own estate planning will traditionally leave their assets, for example, to their children. But if their children passed away before them, then they might default to siblings as their beneficiary. Well, if that sibling is a special needs child and they didn't mention the trust, so that's why there really needs to be overall family planning. And, of course, the best case scenario is if you can coordinate with the same estate planning attorney because then things don't slip through the cracks. Well, annual review becomes very important, and that's why I mentioned earlier also it's not just a trustee, but a custodian, an advocate, a guardian also. As special needs parents, we're all looking for that silver bullet. And, you know, I just look in the field of autism in the last 15 years, the tremendous strides that we've made. So you're planning for a long, long term. could be 30 years, could be 60, 70 years, even longer. So you want to make sure that there's flexibility within that trust and that there's other people involved in that trust. For example, an advocate who understands and knows the rules and the regs and the kind of things that go on with a child with autism or Down syndrome. And this becomes so important. And again, having contingents to make sure because 20, 30 years down the road, that person may not be able to serve. And the other thing that's very important, make sure you ask these people, will they serve? You don't want any surprises down the road when you're dead and gone. And all of a sudden they find out you named them as an advocate. You know, those are all great points, George. One thing I'm thinking as we're talking about all this, there might be some people in the audience that just kind of tuned out right away because they said it doesn't affect our family. We're done having kids. There's no special needs kids. But one thing that we've worked with an estate planning attorney for years with our clients, and one of the things that we always talk about is having language in a trust that what if one of your kids do become special needs or you have a grandchild that's born with special 
special needs. Obviously, it's best to be very specific with those trusts, but you can put language in your estate plan that says, if one of my kids becomes special needs, let's say they're in a serious car accident or have a stroke, where now all of a sudden they become special needs, if your trust provides for creating a special needs trust in that event. That's something else you might want to think about because a lot of times we only think about if the skies are clear, we don't have to prepare for rain. That is something that's very important, and you have to make sure that you use a qualified estate planning attorney through the association that I mentioned in your locale. Pennsylvania recently passed a law that in the instance of an automobile accident or a malpractice or there's some kind of award for a special needs person, that once that person dies, those assets revert back to the state. In the instance of autism or Down syndrome, where it's a condition that exists from birth or a condition that develops soon after birth, those assets in that special needs trust, once that child has passed on, they would revert to other children or other beneficiaries that follow the testate laws that are in the will or in the state where the individual resided. So again, uh, competent legal counsel is so important. And that's a huge point because, again, there are some similarities across the country, but there are some unique differences in the states that you live in. George, maybe sum up for our listeners today and inspire them a little bit of, again, how important it is to do this type of planning, even if at the moment, as Jim just well pointed out, special needs doesn't seem to be your need, it could develop in the future. The IRS code started out several years ago with four pages. It's now over 4,000 pages, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be getting any easier. There was a famous court case where the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court said there is nothing wrong with a taxpayer using the code for their benefit to the full extent of the law. That is not tax evasion. That's using your head. So there's a great deal of satisfaction and peace of mind to know that you have provided for your special needs child no matter what happens in the future, whether there's a cure, whether the condition gets worse, or as you mentioned, if it occurs after because of an automobile accident or botched surgery or something like that. So please, the people that are listening to this, take the steps to make special needs trust part of your estate planning. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Uh, Again, nobody has a lease on life. We don't know how long we're given to be on this earth, and you don't want to leave your family, and especially your special needs child, with a total disaster. Thank you, George. Listen, we appreciate you joining us today. I know you've joined us from a remote location. I believe they've really accommodated you today. Just share with us again where you're at. Well, I'm at the Comfort Inn Gold Coast on Coastal Highway in Ocean City, Maryland. These people have been fantastic here. What a great place, and there's so many amenities that are free. And they acknowledge, too, special needs. They have handicap rooms, and they have staff is really good when you have a special needs child that you're trying to accommodate. So I thank you, gentlemen, for the opportunity to disseminate the message. People, if you need help, we're available to help you out. And Let's make sure that we leave our children with quality of life. Thank you, George. Hopefully we can join each other again in the future because this will be an ever-evolving planning world and we'd like to be able to incorporate your expertise in the future. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. 
If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.